1: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. R&B and neo-soul icon Maxwell performs live at MGM National Harbor this Saturday and Sunday nights. We spoke about his evolution from Maxwell's urban hang suite to Black Summer's night, and even the recent phenomenon of fans posting viral videos of his dance moves. Hey Maxwell, hey, thanks so much for joining us on in DC.
0: Thanks for having me. It's good to be uh, on your show. You know, I love DC. DC is like pretty special for me. It's really nice memories. What is that? Uh, wow. I mean, it was the first time I played like five or six Constitution Halls, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> In my early 20s. <laughs> uh, it was when I really felt like I made it, you know, when I would go to DC and I'd be there for two weeks performing. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, I just want to thank everyone out there. Most of them are probably all grown up and have kids now. So uh, thanks for coming to the shows. And uh, thanks for playing the music to you, for your children, because they come to the shows too. So Wow. It's like a a second wave, you know, exactly.
1: That's how it happens though. You know, we all, you know, folks, my age, we all grew up listening to your stuff and now (laughs) you get multiple generations that can come on to your shows. So that's great. Uh, Well, we should mention that the reason we're talking is you're coming to the MGM national Harbor here on November 12th and 13th. So everybody get your tickets now. What can we expect from, from the concert? I assume all the greatest hits that we're talking about, you know, that we grew up with, but is there anything new, you know, future album stuff you're going to drop in there too?
0: Yeah, we're going to probably play, we're going to play the, you know, the single that we dropped earlier this year, which, you know, I just great, you know, like it went to number one, which was amazing to me. Um, And then we're just going to play the songs that people, you know, want to, want to hear. I'm excited. I'm excited to go and, and. And and spent some time in D.C. I mean, there's so much about D.C. that I love, and obviously, you know, there's politics part, and I mean, you know, but you know, it's the people. There's something about something about how they welcomed me back in in my early days that I always hold close to my heart, and uh, it's always like a pleasure to to walk through, and and it's such a beautiful city too. The way it's like it's like kind of like a, a mini version of Paris, but not really, you know, because of everything so low and. You know, it's not so skyscraper, scrapy vibes. You know,
1: if yeah. There's makes... like a there's like a height ordinance where you can't build it anything taller than I guess what Washington Monument. I think. I think it's that's for security reasons. I'm sure, but yeah. yeah. I think I think it's designed. You know, in a French way. I believe is the whole layout of the city. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's totally... uh, And I'm pretty sure um, at the National Harbor at MGM, uh, aren't you also going to be sharing the stage? Isn't Alex Isley, daughter of Ernie Isley, Isley Brothers, yes. going to be there with you?
0: Yes. I mean, literally, I've been. I've been playing her music her featured music her individual music just nonstop you know um it's incredible i mean when they say it's in the genes <laughs> they mean it <laughs> i mean her voice is absolutely the most beautiful thing uh it's like I, the only way i can describe it is like if if like a if like a uh you know multiple if multiple doves were flying in in, a, in, in unison in the sky that's that's how um alex isley's voice sounds to me when i hear it i mean it's just it's beautiful you know and for someone to be able to successfully cover patrice russian without pissing me off <laughs> or anyone off is uh is, is is a is a monumental feat so i am i'm so excited to to share the stage with her i think she's just such a she's such an amazing um uh, musician and artist and uh and then, of course, she comes from music royalty, so it's like, oh yeah, I'll be on yeah. the side of the stage watching, you know, you know, just like everyone's watching um, her as well. So yeah. I can't wait for that um, for that introduction because I haven't had I haven't, I haven't had the chance to meet her. I just I've, I've just been a fan for for a while, you know.
1: Multiple doves flying together in unison—that is the way. That is thanks for the beautiful visual for the radio. I love that you paint the picture. <laughs> Wait, so if she's multiple doves flying, how would you describe your own music? (laughs) What would be the animal bird analogy for that?
0: (laughs) Oh, I don't know. You know, I always leave it up to the listener to kind of make those decisions. I mean, I am so hard on myself about what I could have done and what I probably could have done better in a song or here and there. You know, I never watched myself. I just had the... I just had to prove some archival footage of some performances that I'd done, like when I was in my, you know, early twenties, and then late thirties, and I'd never watched any of it. So I, I was like, "Whoa, that was me then," because <laughs> like, I'm just so kind of um, I'm a little hard on myself about it. And I'd rather just be in the moment and not have anything come off too contrived. So if you see things too much about yourself, then you're not really in your your element or in your moment. But yeah, I mean, I don't know how to describe my voice. I hope it's a good description for those. who.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, I'm just riffing on your analogy. But yeah, speaking of your, you know, looking back at footage of you and being in the moment, I have to ask you about that awesome viral (laughs) video. You know, it's coming dropping low, shaking your (laughs) knees on the stage. Was that take me into the mindset? Is that just a spur of the moment stroke of inspiration? And you're like, I'm just going to do it. It wasn't doesn't look like it was planned out. You're just having fun.
0: Yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny because, you know, I'm, I'm 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 born in Brooklyn. Right. And, my you know, my background is, you know, from the Caribbean. So, you know, my mom's from Haiti, my dad's Puerto Rican, you know, everyone goes low. You know, that's what it is. <laughs> um, from, from, a, from a southern perspective, you would think of it in a different way. You know, I hear people say that I'm twerking. Um, I hear people saying various things. But the funniest part of it is that. I'm unbothered by it. I think it's actually hilarious that people have like created all these different versions and reasons. Right. Like who knew, you know, it took off, you know, I did this forever ago and it's not been even a part of the second leg of the show. So I was like, what took y'all so long to come for me, you know, <laughs> but love to everyone though, for everyone who uh, who participated in creating a, uh, their own version of the video. I don't know what they, there's so many, there's so, so many iterations of this, yeah. but the internet is the internet, and God bless it for being what it is.
1: <laughs> Keep the videos
0: coming. Who you can you know, you can't
1: predict this stuff. It's hilarious what catches on and, and takes off into a life of its own. All I right, mean,
0: well, you couldn't you, pay for it. It's literally like the most yeah. insane thing. I was like, wow, this, I can't believe this is happening. But but for God the
1: advertising. Bless- <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm selling there, but
1: <laughs> you're selling the moves, man. Oh, I love it. Well, you mentioned that. Well, let's go. You mentioned uh, you're born in Brooklyn, um, uh, you know, with, with your parents. And I guess was, this we're talking uh, 1973 Brooklyn here. So I want to know how you got into into music in the first place. Did, was it you received a keyboard from a friend or what was that initial spark?
0: Well, yeah, there was, I I have to say that the initial spark came from my grandmother. I mean, she, you know, first thing she ever gave me was a Bible, of course, Um, came from a very religious um, Christian family. Um, The second was a harmonica and the third was a radio. Uh, And the radio was what really set me off because that's when I heard you know, radio stations and I heard music. And for some reason, I was particularly drawn to R&B and soul. Obviously, there were so many channels, you know, on the dial. But for some reason, I just loved, you know, the R&B stuff. Like just, what,
1: artists were, what artists were you listening to as a kid?
0: Oh, wow. There's so many. Um, like, are we know, talking
1: like Marvin Gaye or what are we talking?
0: Well, yeah, of course. I mean, that that's that was always going to be be playing you know no matter what but like currently at the time during the like late 70s or even in the 80s you know there are people like Anita Baker There were artists like you know new edition obviously Janet Jackson at the time obviously Michael Jackson um you know I just I just my element I always was drawn to the R&B soul thing uh, I don't know why maybe because there was so much emotion and pain and 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 beauty in the voices that sang, and so you know, and then I—that's when I kind of, but I was very, you know, hesitant because you know I didn't want to, I didn't want to embarrass myself and fail, you know. So I, I, I sort of edged myself in to, to being part of music slowly, but surely, you know, cause I wasn't being, t- you know, I didn't have like a, you know, my mom wasn't taking me to auditions when I was like 15 or 13, like most of my contemporaries, they started, no, they knew when they were eight and they were doing talent shows, they were on star search and all these types of things. And I would see them on star search. Like I saw, you know, Beyonce, you know, on star search, I saw Leah on star search, um, you know, so for me, I, I was I, I got into it a, a lot later than most people do, uh, but I really felt like I was gonna really be a songwriter initially, and um, and that's kind of how I that's kind of how I worked it. And then someone, Mitchell Cohen, being that someone, uh, an amazing writer, amazing A and R um, music, he 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 said, "I, I we want to sign you," and I was like, "Oh no." you know so when they decided that i had to think about it because i was very scared because fame is very crazy you know you you can you know you can start out one way and end up another way and but i just couldn't live with the what if so i just you know i went with it and um and we are here today you know
1: Absolutely. And when you're talking about, you know, getting, getting signed and you, uh, oh, it's happening. This is, uh, I guess it's Columbia records in 94. Um, take, take me into putting together that breakthrough album. We all remember Maxwell's urban hang suite, I guess that released in 96. Um, but man, uh every all your fans will know ascension don't ever wonder and something something and basically that whole whole album at this point it's like a legendary album now for for the genre but uh talk about you know do, do you any good memories of actually being in the studio tell us where it was recorded or or where you were and how you you know wrote those those hits you know i, I want to know the goods on, on maxwell's urban hang suite
0: okay i got you um i mean i have to kind of point my i have to really say that you know the it, it was the fellowship of the people that I've got to meet along the ride, you know, obviously hot David, eventually Stuart Matthewman, etal shore, you know, Gene Lake on drums, Wawa Watson, um, you know, uh, Peter Mokrin, um, who was from Chicago who uh, did some of the mixing and some of the co-producing kind of stuff. Cause they didn't know they didn't trust that I could produce myself. So initially that's kind of how it started. Um But, you know, we were just making a record. And the great thing about Mitchell Cohen is that he said, you're not you don't have to make an R&B record. You don't have to make a a record that's just make the record you want to make. And that's why it was so I think, you know, I don't want to like, you know, you know, pat myself on the back. But I think that's why it was so unique to what it was, because we weren't restricted in any way. To focus on like what would get on radio, you know what? Because if I was making a record at that time, what was on radio was completely different from what Urban Hangsuite was. Yeah, and 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 you know I'm so grateful to to Mitchell, and also to to, men, to the staff at Columbia at the time. You know, it took them a while to understand what they were going to do with this album. Um, I don't think they really understood that there wasn't an audience for it because you know. It's a business. Usually it's a business for a lot of people, you know, and they just, they just do the business thing. And this was a creative experience that was like in their face. And they had to figure out what to do with something that was just purely creative. You know, we had no agenda. We had no radio agenda. We had no uh we just had no agenda. It was like, what is the thing that we like the most about all the music that we've grown up with? Let's make a record that can kind of be that way. And so it sat on the shelf for about, you know, a year. You know, I watched all these uh, people being released, you know, the incredible legendary D'Angelo was released.
1: Brown Sugar was 95, right? And Erykah Baduzan was 97. So I guess yours was sort of right in between. The trio of those, those are like the neo soul, you know, the breakthrough.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it, for me to be associated with those two incredible artists is like uh, I, at the time, I had no idea what the magnitude of that would be. But, you know, now, you know, with my, you know, 49 year old mind and spirit or maybe my spirit's a little bit older than that. But <laughs> you're also. <old too. laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, but I was, you know, on someone's shelf, just, you know, they didn't know what to do. We were waiting for. I guess, staff or people to come in to sort of like market this, but I don't think they really understood that they didn't really need to market this album, really. They just needed to just let people hear it. And thankfully, you know, um, the more people heard it, the word got around and it was discovered mainly by people it was a discovered record and and the label had to kind of catch up with like the discovery of the audience and that was like the, the that's the best part of the that album and and i think my career in general is that it was the people not the establishment that made that made it happen you know
1: yeah.
0: um it, it took the establishment to market it and you know obviously make the cds at the time when we had cds and records and all that but it was the people that demanded and um and wanted it so it was very exciting to see that um that that's what made it work and and come together so thank you to the people <laughs>
1: thank you to the people did it blow your mind when people are now you know they're at that point now they're saying you're like the next prince or marvin gay or you know what i mean like that's got to be mind-blowing
0: oh <laughs> uh, yeah because you know i knew i wasn't um <laughs> you know i knew that that was just all just um you know i guess people's uh ways of categorizing situations so, so that readers could um understand something or so that papers could get sold or whatever it was right. Um you know, I, I knew that, you know, obviously that I was just um, you know, an apprentice of sorts at, at that point in time in my life. Um, but what was great for me was um the fact that, you know, I got to quietly make this record without any pressure um from the world. You know, it takes your whole it takes you your whole life to write your first album. And then everyone wants another one in, you know six months after you're done with the last release of your single. Um, and Because I don't have writing camps and it's not like there's like a bunch of people submitting songs to me constantly, you know, we are kind of like our own and um, you know, it's kind of like a niche sort of uh, small group of people that we work, we just work together all the time. So it's very difficult sometimes to kind of keep up with what people want because we're not really, you know, we're not getting all these submitted songs, you know, that are literally, okay, that person has a number one hit and that writer's sending you a song. So, you know, it can be a bit, um, it can be a bit, you know, interesting for me, but, you know, I didn't get into this to be a pop star, you know, I got into this to be a creative person, to be a writer, to be able to tell a story, to be able to create a mood musically. Um, I wasn't interested in the pop aspect or the success of selling as many records and being known by as many people as possible that was not my agenda um and it was very not difficult but it was hard for columbia a huge label like that that's built to create those types of uh, of monsters or you know you know i wouldn't say monsters in a bad way but you know that that's what they're that's what they're built to do to to maximize you to the point of like absolute it's you know, to to the heights of who you could possibly be. Everyone should know who you are. And I wasn't really directing my my uh my creativity towards that. I didn't want that to be what it was because you know, like I love people like Shadé, and obviously she's a huge star, and without even trying, really. Um, but but there's something about her music that is so personal to who she is as a as a soul. And it's not part of a manufactured um, engine um, or business, so, so to speak, you know. So I was I was lucky. I was lucky to be able to sort of like have that kind of creative um, uh, freedom, because most artists start doing things as they're told, and then when they become successful, then they grab the reins. I was I was allowed to have the the, the reins, you know, from day one. So that was really, that was really uh, a blessing and a curse, but it was a blessing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you said, you know, you have your, that the old, you know, the old saying, you have your whole life to write that first one and then you got to boom, turn around and crank it out the next one in like six months or whatever. So uh, what was it like putting together um, embryo and then and then now after that you know um you had to put them out pretty quickly over a couple years there um but yeah i mean how did you see yourself evolving from that and uh, i mean they pick that matrimony maybe yeah there's so many we could we could talk about on on those albums but um yeah just how do you think that evolved after after urban Hang Sweet? i mean do you, do you did you see yourself stretching out did you see yourself growing in, in your own you know look in the mirror and you're you're proud of it kind of a way well,
0: here's the thing. So, so it's a really good question, by the way. Um, So the. the Not really, but you know. <laughs> no, it, it, it is because, and I'll tell you why it, it's at first, first of all, I had the unplug that, that happened. And then a very special song called this woman's work, which was always around, which I was always sitting around and it was always in the back of my mind. That, that this Kate Bush record is just the most amazingly beautiful record I've ever heard. And so when you do an unplugged, there's like, okay, there's an opportunity to do one cover or two covers. We ended up doing Trent Reznor's closer uh, and making it like a church type of, uh, you know, soulful thing. And then, and then of course, the, 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 the incredible Kate Bush, who I've been a fan of, like, I know more than just that song. I mean, I just think she's, She's one of the most rarest uh, creative forces that's ever made music. You know, she's just a, 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 there's nothing like that. You know, it only comes once, and you know, it's just so special. So I had uh, tested to do that song. Uh, everyone wanted me to do like a Marvin Gaye cover or a Sam Cooke cover or something that was obvious to whatever they, whatever the the constraints of Hawaii they thought that I was gonna be or whatever people were comparing me to. And I thought, well, it wouldn't be great to write a song that was written by a woman about a female experience that a man could never understand. And to sort of, you know, obviously, you know, arrange it and and record it in a way that would hopefully make it more um, palatable to people who looked like me, you know? And, And that was a special thing to sing that live for the first time at BAM, you know, Brooklyn Academy of Music in Brooklyn, New York, in front of an audience that had no phones by that time, <laughs> at that time, <laughs> which is the thing about that song. It's like, when you're doing that song, you're not trying to perform it to a phone or to a person holding a phone. Um, you're trying to perform it to a person so that it goes into their heart, you know? Right. And... Uh, and so, you know, so that happened. And then of course, you know, I wanted to sort of completely, you know, switch gears and do something completely um, I, I I would feel like I thought it was ambitious. But I think people, you know, on the success of Urban Hang Suite, they were just, okay, well, even though they didn't really understand it in the beginning, and then all of a sudden it became a thing that they understood. Now they wanted me to sort of stick to this particular script of stay in the zone, you know, you, you you got it. Everyone's on your side. Everyone likes this thing that you're doing. And then I went completely more trance, more Bjork-like, more, I don't know who else to describe at the time that made certain kinds of music, but I wanted to just go in a different direction. Um Some of the critics were not kind and that's fine. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't make records for critics. I don't make records for people. I make records because I make records. Yeah. Um, but the beauty of embryo is 20 years after its release, uh, it yielded um a whole new subgenre that I hear now in in current RB, which I'm just so happy. Um, sometimes you can be, I guess, a little bit too ahead of your time. Um, but it gave me that that uh, that latitude to then go back into now and to show people here's lifetime, you know, here's yeah. get to know. And, you know, here's Symptom Unknown and and here's obviously the the recorded version of this woman's work, which I did primarily for the Make-A-Wish Foundation because a young girl who sadly passed soon after I met her, uh, she was nine years old. um, And so the proceeds for most of that, uh, for the record, the recorded version, went primarily to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So I just wanted people to know more than anything that that this wasn't some dog and pony show. That I'm serious about being a creative person. And whether you like what I'm doing or not, I hope you can be patient with me with that process of of my own personal evolution as an artist and and i think that that's what's happened and i'm and i'm grateful for that i think i know many people don't get these these chances there's so many people who were signed in 1994 and released records in 1996 that don't even they're not even talking to you or they don't have records or any kind of options like the way that i have so i'm just grateful for it you know it was a it's a great it was a great risk. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> well,
1: I'm glad everyone was patient with you. You were ahead of your time. What, what is it? What's the, the line in uh, remembering back to the future? He's like, I guess you're not ready for this, but your kids are going to love it. And <laughs> you were ahead of the game with embryo. And now, um, by the way, tell me, I didn't even mean that segue, but tell me uh, about your, your movie soundtrack stuff. Cause you did fortunate for life, which by the way, my wife and I just watched the other day. And it's still hilarious when Martin learning. Oh, <laughs> and at the it's brothel, it's all I get, it, it gets me every time without, uh, Uh, let's not play the game for the best man so like as uh late 90s early 2000s we're starting to watch uh, some of these you know big big mainstream movies we're hearing maxwell's music along the way but how fun was it to do you know fortunate for life and let's not play the game for best man
0: it was great i mean you know i mean first it started it's funny because because my 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 introduction to the actual film world with my music was with love jones i did all right yeah mix of something something called mellow smooth and it was like a slower version of something which I this is like all happening during the time that I'm that my album is on the shelf i have nothing to do and i'm like well let me just make some new versions of these songs that i've already recorded that are not that are not being released right now and so when the album came out they were like hey we need something for this amazing uh new movie called love jones you know starring of course uh you know trey lorenz and um you know nia long and 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 this incredible story of black love in a very normal way like um and then you know they they put they put it on the soundtrack. And of course that movie had, you know, uh, Dionne Farris, you know, uh, that, the song Hopeless. It also had um, The Sweetest Thing I've Ever Known by Lauryn Hill. I mean, it, it it just would go down in history as like a killer, all killer, no filler soundtrack. And so I think that's how all these other soundtracks came um, at my, at, you know, towards me. And so as all that was happening, I, um, you know, was, you know, now was in my mind already, you know, it was I had the songs, um, but, but music was changing, you know, I mean, it was changing drastically. It was, it was moving away from the love thing. And the, because I feel like the Neo soul experience was quite a Renaissance moment for R&B. Don't you feel, is it just me? Oh yeah. And I feel like after that, after that experience, after that Renaissance in since music, um it became very much very very hip-hop you know and and, and i think lauren hill obviously managed to keep that that purity of soul and of course balance the hip-hop elements that were, were about to really take over with artists obviously like jay-z and and and, and artists like 50 cents and eminem you know um and then you had the pop element of britney spears so that moment was such a, a a brief moment where, where soul music was starting to was, was took center stage pretty much. Um, and so I just had to sort of like pull away a bit after now and wait for an incredible artist named Amy Winehouse to be released. <laughs> and, and
1: everything like, changed after that. Right. And, yeah. And when I heard
0: that album, I was like, I think I could start making music again. I think there's an audience that is interested in um, topics that don't have to do with like misogynistic violence and, you know, and, right. and, 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 all, and not that I'm, you know, passing judgment, you know, every, everyone has the right to create and to paint the picture that they've, that they feel that they, that best suits their, their story.
1: Right. But and, it was time to move on from that. Let's evolve as a species, you know, let's write about some other stuff is what you're saying.
0: I mean, look, I just look what was selling was what was selling. I was happy. I got a break from the, you know, the the celebrity situation that was engulfing my life a little bit. Um, And and I got to sort of like take a deep dive into myself and and come up with, you know, obviously Black Summer's Night, uh, which, you know. Would bring about pretty wings and bad habits and fistful of tears and, yeah. and that won a, you
1: two Grammys, right? R and B album and R and B performance, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that was like actually after the sixteenth nomination, that was when I finally <laughs> finally <laughs> sixteen yeah.
1: times the charm.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know, and it's funny because because it's it's interesting. I, I, I don't make the music for the accolades, and I'm I know. We someone will probably say yeah whatever, but I'm not a metrics person. I'm not like there's you know the Velvet Underground sold what twelve thousand records or something I don't know but then it it but it created David Bowie you know right. and it created like all these different artists who would get who would go on to to change the landscape of music. So for me, you know the the, the success is 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 in the creation of the work. It's not in the you know, how many streams am I getting or how many, you know, clicks am I getting? And, um, you can't put a number on that stuff. It's all about
1: the creation and the influence on other artists.
0: That's, that's kind of the lane that I, that I'm in, but, you know, obviously, you know, music is a business and people are counting coins sometimes. And I'm just grateful that here and there, I I get a couple of things that just like go fly out the gate, like crazy. You know, like I wrote pretty wings, you know, because I was in a relationship at the time and um, it had gone a certain way and I had a lot to do with why it didn't go the right way. And I just wanted to honestly speak about my misstep in a song and that song ended up sort of like putting me back on the map in a a very special way. And I didn't have to have an Afro. I didn't have to have all the quote unquote um, things that people thought were the reasons why my success was my, was happening initially, people were like, it's about his look, you know, or it's about this. Um, It's very funny how as you're, as, and, you know, I'm a 20 something year old person, very sensitive, obviously at the time and new to this world of of celebrity and, and you're constantly being, uh because people are competitive. They want to, they want to win. They want to be, be number one and you're trying to contribute and they're trying to compete and it's a it's a different mindset completely and so i you know so i just sort of you know decided to say okay let me just like keep contributing and i'll let them be i'll let them all compete with each other and i'll just contribute <laughs> as much as i can um so that's that's kind of how it all like came together um and i'm just happy that people uh i think that i think take, coming from that perspective is why i don't never I don't necessarily need an album to go, to go on the road. Really. Um, I don't necessarily need a, a song out. Uh, I've like had four years at times where um, there was no music out and there was a completely full theater or amphitheater or arena or whatever it was that I was at or yeah. And, and that's an amazing thing to have. That's just like that's like a U2 type thing to, to have. <laughs> and I think you know what I mean by that because before U2 was the biggest band at the time when they were the hugest band and they're still big in my mind, they were selling stadiums. They were selling oh, arenas, yeah. and radio had no idea about who they were. Yeah. And so that brings me back to the beauty of like having the people make the decisions. I mean, you know, we need the establishment, of course, and we're grateful for the establishment, but it's the people that I care about the most. And it's the one, and they're the ones that kind of stick around and, and believe in you when 12 executives have been fired from a position that you, know, right. that you needed them to be in so that they could be um, invested in you. Um, so I'm grateful for that more than yeah, anything.
1: exec executives come and go this the suits change but the uh, the people and, and the people that love your music they're 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 forever with you on the ride and that's what matters. Um, uh just to sort of round it out um my listeners will kill me if we don't mention the other Black Summers Night album because what I guess you know your fourth album was all caps Black and then the fifth album was the All Caps was the Summers part just so our listeners know it's it's similar names but different, you,
0: different know, you know your stuff, Jason Wow I you got to
1: do a little research I'm, I'm just <laughs> dude, don't give me too much credit, man. I'm just talking about album titles. <laughs>
0: But uh, but tell me about
1: the lake by the ocean, though. You know, how how'd you come up with that? Cause that won you an R and B Grammy, but uh, best R and B song. But tell me about. And, and by the way, that hey, that brings us full circle to the viral video, cause I think that's what you were performing when you're shaking them knees. But. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, um, wow, you got a definite reaction for me from that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because you know, I saw something that Questlove um posted, which was so funny because you know, he and I love him, we're great friends. I love the movie that he put out, The Summer of Soul, absolutely genius! Woman. Oh my god, so good, so good. Um, And then, you know, he posted this thing and I think this girl wrote like there is no Maxwell song that calls for this. And the irony of that is that I worked with this guy on a remix for Lake by the Ocean called uh, his name is Michael Brunn. Uh, He's already won, I think, maybe two or three Grammys with J Balvin. He's from Haiti. Um, His mother's from Guyana. Um, but you know, he's he's full-blown Haiti in, in every sense of the word. He was born there. Um, and I met him when he was like 20-something, he was doing EDM records, and then he kind of moved into more like sort of like a Ahsoka tropical, more you know, island feel to his music. And so he did a remix of Lake by the Ocean, and and we perform that remix, you know, usually sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. Um <laughs> And that's where all that comes from. so when I when I saw when I saw the meme where there's not a song that calls for this, it was like I guess that girl didn't ever she didn't ever she never heard that song that <laughs> song <think> is that <laughs> now that song's doing pretty well because of the, it's so weird it's so funny. um, you know, uh look. At the end of the day, I was locked up for two years, just like everyone else. I was able to come out on tour and I was feeling a little hyped up. And so that's kind of what happened. And that's why you have your viral video. You have a man that was trapped in a cage who has been released and he's in front of an audience and he's just happy that people have come. And that's kind of what, you know, I guess sort of (laughs) imbued the spirit of what you probably saw in the viral video.
1: I love it. He was trapped in a cage for a quarantine for years, and now he's out, baby, and he's performing at MGM National Harbor uh, with Alex Isley, by the way. Uh, yes. It's called it's called the Night Tour. Um, it's going to be November 12th and 13th at MGM National Harbor, so everyone get your tickets. Maxwell, this was a blast. I could freaking sit and talk to you all day, uh, it, but Zoom isn't going to allow it. But that, thanks <laughs> thanks so much. This was so much fun getting to hear you know all the backstory of all this
0: stuff. Absolutely. Jason, thank you so much for having me me on your show and you know I look forward to like you know getting in you know I I look forward to getting over there and I hope everyone you know has a good time and I can't wait to see Alex Isley again I described her as I described her she's a her voice is like a multiple a multitude of doves flying in unison in the sky she's amazing please please check her out as much as you might know about me you know I look I've had the blessing you know to have special (laughs) guests. like Jasmine Sullivan, Alicia Keys. Oh my God, you know what I mean? Uh, I I I feel like, you know, if I got in the door, I always should let someone, you know, I should leave the door open for someone else to get in. And, and this is a great opportunity and she's definitely one of those artists. So please check, you know, the air apparent and the <laughs> uh Alex Eisley. <laughs> You love the
1: bird analogies, you know, doves flying, pretty wings, you know, setting people free, letting them fly out on stage. You love the analogy. It, it's great. It's great.
0: I'm an air and water type of person.
1: <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks so much. Air and water mixed with my coffee. It was great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and now hey. I'm going to make my own coffee now. Thanks All right. So much,
1: Happy brewing. Talk to you later. <laughs> All right. Bye. Search American Nightmare Podcast on all podcast platforms. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy.